thought, and as you think about that, I just want you to close your eyes and you think about the fact that on that hill were three crosses, and in the center, on that cross where Jesus died, as you think about everything that took place, and you kneel, and you bow, and you remember, and you respect, and you honor the fact that Jesus paid that price that you couldn't pay, no matter how hard you try, no matter how much money you have, or how good you think you are, and you bow and you worship and you honor. And so today, God, we thank you for the fact that your son paid that price and that we can stand today in honor, in reverence, and with grateful and thankful hearts for the fact that you, our heavenly father, sent your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As, uh, as we get started, we're going to be continuing our, our Galatians series called Freedom. And I really want to challenge you with this as, you, as you, we dig in and start to be challenged by the truth of God's word is really evaluate what you've been taught in the past. Really evaluate what has become a priority or, or an emphasis in the life of, uh, in, or in your life and maybe in a religious sense or, or likewise. And, and as you think about that, I want to challenge you with a number of things. I'm going to I want to real quick make a quick announcement as we do that, but I want you to be thinking about this. Uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have VBS kicking off. Matter of fact, I've got a slide up here, uh, up there, Pat, the, the VBS kickoff. It's going to be uh, the Everest Challenge. Uh, we'll have a group. Matter of fact, uh, for those of you who were here a, a year ago, we had almost 200 teenagers and adult leaders uh, here on that Sunday morning along with our church. Um, and so we have we have teenagers coming in. They're going to be serving around our city, Independence, Kansas City, and stuff like that, and churches helping us do VBS. And I, want, I hope you understand the, the reality behind this is we, we couldn't pull off VBS if we didn't have them. I mean, the truth of the matter is we couldn't pull off VBS, at least not to the extent that we have. Last year, we had, uh, on average, 55 kids uh, age of sixth grade and below who came to VBS uh, every day. Uh, and so, this is the first thing, and what we're needing, we really want your help. If you, if you don't work, uh, or, or maybe you have nights, maybe you're working nights or anything, uh, during that week, we need your help. There's going to be all kinds of things going on. Matter of fact, teenagers, if you're part of our church and you're a teenager, we want to invite you to be a part of it, you can come completely free. Matter of fact, you can stay up here at the church with the group. They've already invited that in there. Uh, you'll, you'll be able to build relationships with other teenagers as well as, as be a part of that mission team. So we want to invite you to be a part of that, and that's where the next slide is. It's no big deal, uh, but that's the KC Project. Uh, they're they're going to be meeting in St. Louis the week before us. Uh, then we'll have our week, and then in Denver the following week. So uh, I want to invite you to be a part of that. Make plans now to be a part. We need as much help as possible with that. There's going to be a number of opportunities. Um, but as I was getting ready this morning, uh, Father's Day, and I, and, and I know we we focus on those things, but Father's Day is a thing that you really begin to appreciate more, obviously, as a father than when you're not a father. But uh, what was funny today, Sarah, matter of fact, if you go on Facebook, Sarah tagged me in it. It's on her post and on my page, but she asked the kids, what do you love about dad? You know, and here I am thinking, you know, I provide for him, we give him food, I got a great house, I help coach my son's baseball team, I think about all the stuff I do with them, and, and, and uh, it kind of blew me away what, what they said they loved. 
You know, and maybe, maybe it was just because they were put on the spot, but it was the things that I didn't think that they would really care about that they threw out there. Matter of fact, Ethan says, uh, I love when my dad plays advanced warfare with me. And I was like, really? Life revolves around video games for kids. That's what I'm, you know, he'll be like, dad, can we go play? I'm like, no, I'm not playing. <laughs> Why not? Like last night we played for 20 minutes and he's like, you know, and, but that was what he loved. You know, my daughter, she's like, well, I love that my dad makes my bed with me. And I was like, really? You know, that would be like me telling my dad, I love when you, you know, mow the yard with me. You know, you know, and then Peyton just said, I love my dad. Uh, which, you know, what do you expect from a three-year-old? But, but what I realize is there are things that as an adult, I appreciate more about my father than I did as a kid. All right? And, and here's what I want to challenge you with on that is this. A lot of times what ends up happening is that we take things for granted. And the things that we loved as a kid maybe aren't as important anymore. And it's the other things. It's the time with them. It's, the, it's, it's maybe more significant things. You know, to me, video games is not a very significant task. All right? You know, playing video games with my son, I do it honestly because I know he loves it. But it's not one of those things that I'm like, oh, you know, let's go play video games with my son. I'd rather be outside playing baseball. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'd rather play advanced warfare. Uh, but I, I, I think about that, and I want you to think about this in this way. A lot of times what we do as Christians is we take for granted the things that really we may seem small, right? In the Christian life, in the life of everything goes on, when we think about, you know, my, my son or my daughter looking up and saying, these are the things I value, a lot of times we look at God and we have these ideas that, well, God, you almost owe it to me or these are the things that I really value and God goes, well, you're not really getting the big picture. I.e., things like this. Well, God, look what I do. I go to church, you should value that time, God. I mean, look what I give to you. Value that time because I'm giving you that hour on Sunday. Or look at how good I am. I mean, look at all the good things I've done for you. And the reality is those are all great things. So I'm not trying to knock it, but a lot of times what we end up doing is we, we misconstrue or we, we confuse the idea that all of a sudden God is going to be more happy with us based upon what we do. And so if you have your Bibles, Galatians chapter 2. We're going to pick up in verse 15, which we kind of covered a little bit last week, and we're going to read through verse 21. And if you remember, if, for those of you who haven't been here, I want to give you an idea of what takes place in Galatians. In the book of Galatians, Paul is challenged by people who basically said, Paul, you're not sticking to what God has called you to do. Paul, you're, you're, you're preaching something that's weird. And Paul's saying, no, I'm preaching the gospel, and the gospel is good news. And the good news is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and there's nothing else you can do to earn salvation. There's nothing else you can do that's gonna make God all of a sudden pour out more love on you. The fact of the matter remains that Jesus is all the love you need. It's everything you got. It's the God's best at the worst time in life, all right? God's best gift at the worst time of life is Jesus on the cross and nothing you can do is gonna change that. And so Paul says, hey, look, Galatians, you guys are abandoning the gospel and you're running to something that's not the gospel at all. And what they were running to was the law. They were running to a legalistic, religious, ritualistic-based tradition that said, hey, you can have Jesus, but you still have to keep the law. In other words, you have to be circumcised. You have to maintain certain ceremonial rites and cleansings and you have to be ritualistically clean and there are things you can and can't do and Paul said nah nah no 
Paul said, all the law does is diagnose a problem. All right? And I made the comparison, I've said over the last couple of weeks, that the, the comparison is this, that in diagnosing a problem, if you take your car in, when I've worked for my dad and a semi would come into the shop and they say, hey, I've got problems, my check engine light's coming on, we would grab the computer and underneath the dash is a little plug and we'd plug that computer in and we'd enter in all the information, it would read it and it would tell us the problem with the truck. It would say, you know, this is going on and things like that. But the problem is the computer doesn't fix that, does it? The computer just diagnoses the problem. Now you got to get the problem fixed. And likewise, that's what ends up happening. The law diagnoses the problem. And the problem is, guess what? You and I are sinners. All right? Whether you want to admit it or not, you may think, oh, I'm good. I'm moral. I've come in. I don't have a problem. Who are you to tell me I'm a sinner? The reality is this. If you've gone to church for 56 years, you've been married for 45, you've been saved for all that, the fact that matters still remains. doesn't matter. You're a sinner. And you need Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection more and more and more. Every day the reality sets in. And the Jews and the Judaizers in this text wanted and professed belief in Jesus, but they wanted everybody to follow the law as well. And the idea was this, that you have to do the works of the law, do everything that the law commands, and refrain from everything that the law forbids. In other words, don't eat certain things. You must love, you must serve the living God, have no other gods or God substitutes. You must revere his name, his day, honor your parents, avoid adultery, avoid murder, avoid theft, avoid idolatry, never bear false witness against your neighbor, don't covet anything. addition to the moral law, there's the ceremonial law. So you must be circumcised. You must join the Jewish church. You must take your religious seriously. Search the Bible. Attend services. Fast. Pray. Give. And if you do all these things, God's going to what? Accept you. Does that sound like something that maybe you've been around in before? I've been around churches. I've been around places. I've been around places that say, if you really love God, then you're going to do all these things. Why? Because he's going to accept you more. The reality is, is, no, that's not true. That's not why we do those things. We do those things because God has called us to do those things, all right? But that is not a basis for justification. And so there's going to be some things we're going to look at today, all right? And so if you have your Bibles, again, Galatians chapter 2, and listen to what he says, starting in verse 15. We who are Jews by birth and not, listen to what he says, not what? Gentile Sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Now I have to clarify, the reason Paul is writing this out is to say, look, we who were Jews in the past, we who grew up under the law, looked at people and said, well, they're sinners, we've got the law. But since we've kept the law, we've also times often looked at the Gentile people and said, look, there's no hope for them. And the reality, what Paul is saying is, no, 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 no. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law. Hear what he's saying? We're all on the same playing field. You're not justified. Even though you're not classifying yourself as a sinner, you're not justified based upon what you do. But by faith in Jesus Christ, so we too have put our faith in Christ that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law because by observing the law, no one will be justified. So if you've gone into a church and the church says, if you do these things, then you're gonna be okay, the reality is that's not true. The reality is you can do all kinds of good things. You can give, you can fast, you can pray, you can pour your heart into the Bible. If you're not in a relationship with Christ, you're not justified. 
You're not made right. Verse 17, if while we seek to be justified, I love verse 17 and following. If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? What's he say? Absolutely not. It might be, may it never be. Whatever your Bible says, but it's, this idea is an exclamation. It's, it's a no way. Heck no. Get the heck out of here. What the heck are you talking about? Never. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I'm a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. Verse 20 A key foundational verse that a lot of people love to quote, I have been what? Crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. If righteousness could be gained through your legalistic, ritualistic attempts to honor God, then Christ dies for nothing. The reality is all of that leads to this. And I want you to understand a number of things. I'm going to say this statement. It's not our main statement of the day, but the law, according to this section of scripture, the law of faith in Christ has trumped the ritualistic and ceremonial law that the Jewish people had set up. And so Paul's critics argued this, that your doctrine, listen, they're trying to say, your doctrine, Paul, of justification through faith, in other words, that Jesus Christ's death on the cross was good enough for everything else, is going to lead people into a highly dangerous situation. They're going to say, well, if I can put my faith and trust in Christ, then I can do whatever I want. And the reality is, Paul says, no, you can't. And that's what we're going to dig into today because that's what he's saying. That's what he's unpacking in verse 17 and following. So he, he denies the allegation that he was guilty of making Christ the agent of man's sin. And the idea is this. A lot of people think when you stand on the gospel and the gospel alone, people will say this idea. That weakens man's sense of moral responsibility. In other words, they don't have to be morally responsible because they say, well, I can do whatever I want to. Christ forgave me. I can do anything I want because I'm gonna be forgiven. I can, I can, I can go out, I can, I can drink, I can party, I can have sex with whoever I want to, I can do whatever I want and I'm gonna be okay because Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. And Paul says, no, that's not the truth. The reality is this. And so here's the theme the main statement of today, if you can remember this, this is what I want you to remember. I, want you to, I don't care about all the four points or anything like that, but I want you to remember this statement. Grace, the grace of Jesus Christ, the grace of God on the cross, grace, not the law, leads to a changed life and morality. Regardless of where you stand on, I'm gonna use this as a statement, I'm not trying to make a political statement. Regardless of where you stand on the aisle of gun control or not, the fact of the matter is, whether a law was legal or not would not change the fact of what happened in South Carolina this week. The fact of the matter remains, that guy was a sick, demented sinner who had in his mind some preconceived idea that he was better than other people, and as a result... He went in with the attempt to kill people and he did that. 
You cannot base that upon something else. Now, I'm not trying to make a political statement. What I want you to understand is there is a broken heart in the individual. And when you try and legislate morality, people will always fall short because all the law does is show what? The problem. It doesn't fix the problem, does it? So as much as you want to set up a law to try and fix a problem, the law doesn't fix the problem. The law just what? Shows the problem. We can make laws about everything. I mean, when I was in Singapore, they had nine, matter of fact, there were shirts. When we were in Singapore, they had, and I can't remember all the laws, but maybe I've told you about it. They had a shirt that had nine boxes on it. And there were all things that we do in America that are illegal over there. Chew gum. You can't chew gum. It's illegal to chew gum in Singapore. If you get caught chewing gum in Singapore, you will get caned. Now people are going to be like, what? You get caned for chewing gum? Yep. You get caned for spitting on the street. I'm not just talking about spitting chewing tobacco. I'm talking about you just hawk a loogie on the street. You're getting caned. Okay, so we can set up laws all we want. All the law does is define the problem, right? It says this is the problem. This is, this is the issue. This is going to diagnose it. It doesn't force people, does it? doesn't force them to live by it. And that's what Paul is trying to get to. So grace, not the law, leads to a changed life. The grace of Jesus' death on the cross. And so here is the question. What is true of the grace of God? What is true of the grace of God? And I believe there are four things that we can kind of look at and see through this text today that's going to show us what is true about the grace of Jesus on the cross. Listen, number one, man's greatest need is to be justified or accepted by God. Justified means to be made right, to be made righteous. And listen to what he says. He, as a matter of fact, he uses this word three times in verse 16, once in verse 17, and once in verse 21. But listen to what he says. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not what? Justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ so that we too or so that we too have put our faith in Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law because by observing the law, no one will be justified. So man's greatest need is to be justified or accepted by God. It's a very important word that we have to understand. And so here is the reality. To be moral, to be good, based upon human definitions is no advantage to you whatsoever. You get that? To be good or to be moral is of no advantage to, of you, to you whatsoever in the sense of this, that it helps justify you, that it makes you right with God, that it makes you acceptable to God. Your goodness does not matter. No matter how much you give, no matter how much you serve, no matter how much you love, no matter all of that situation, it doesn't matter. Your goodness does not matter. And here is the big thing. A lot of people think, well, if I just work harder, if I, if I adopt homeless people and I start helping them out, if I serve in a homeless shelter, if I give money to the poor, if I love my neighbor, listen, those are all great things. But without Jesus' death on the cross, without you placing your faith and trust in him, a moral life does you no good because a moral life just means you're good in earthly sense, but you're not living up to God's standard. 
Jesus is the only one who makes that standard, who can pay that price for you. And so literally to be moral is of no advantage over immorality. Not in a justification standpoint. I hope you hear me out. Now, there's lots of good things, okay? All right, so I'm not, I'm not condoning, oh, go out and do whatever you wanna do because you're missing the point of what Paul says in the truth of the gospel. Listen to what he says again. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law. What Paul is saying is we are of no advantage because we have the law. A matter of fact, the law, the law just shows us more and more that we have a problem. So where we've looked at Gentiles before and said, well, the Gentile sinners are, are sinners because they don't have the law and we got the law. Paul's saying, hey, just because we got the law, that means nothing. We have no advantage at all because of the law. Our only advantage is in Christ. And so the question, the thought process would be, did you grow up in church? You know, a lot of times we like to identify things. Well, I grew up in church. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, I was born to a certain extent in the church. My dad was chairman of the deacons. I remember them talking about how people from the church came up the day I was born. My mom said, I want no visitors, and here come people. <laughs> matter of fact, I'll probably throw her under the bus since it'll all be on the internet, but I remember her telling me, you know, I remember specifically telling people, do not come and visit me. I don't want visitors. And those people showed up. She's like, they weren't even my family. They're from our church. I didn't want visitors and they showed up, all right? I was born in church, but that gives me no advantage. I grew up in the church. I went to RAs. I had kind of a youth pastor. It was a volunteer thing, but we grew up in church. That means nothing. It has no benefit to me. Did we, you grow up with the, in the church? Did you serve the poor? Did you have family worship? Did you get involved in youth ministry? Did you read your Bible regularly? Those are all great things, but it's no advantage of to, you, to you because it means nothing when it comes to justification. You're no better than a person who grew up, listen, in a broken home, fatherless, or maybe their father was a drunk, their mother was promiscuous, they didn't go to church, they spend their time in the bars or out in the strip clubs, you're no better than them. That's what Paul's trying to say. In the sense of justification, the things that are good versus not good in a worldly sense do not justify you. And that's a hard thing to take, isn't it? Because we think, well, look what I did. I didn't, I'm... now wait a second. And I want you to understand this. It's really, literally, in the sense of being justified. No matter how good you think you are, that will not earn you the justification that comes in Christ. So what is true of the grace of God? Number one, man's greatest need is to be justified or accepted by God. Number two, listen, justification comes through faith in Christ. That's the only way. Listen to what he says, verse 16. We already kind of read it. Know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law because by observing the law, no one will be justified. See, the law can never justify you. And that is the literal basis of what we said. And the hard thing is, this is hard for people who grew up in the church. This is hard for people who have spent years and years and years giving their life for the church. 
Because sometimes we think, well, God looks at me in a different realm, in a different sense, in a different way because of what I do. And God says, no, no. I look at you based upon, are you justified by my son or not? I've known men who have been deacons. Listen, I, I knew men who were deacons in a church for over 40 years who said, you know what, I've been a deacon, but it's all been about doing good things. Matter of fact, there was a deacon that, that came to Christ about six months before he ends up passing away who said, I never, I've never put my faith and trust in Christ. I've always been about doing good things. A deacon in the church. And that's great news. At least he came to that point to realize, you know, it's not about attending church. It's not about serving on committees. It's not about being involved in children's ministry and youth ministry. While those are all great things, the reality is this. If you're not justified in Christ, you are stuck in your sin. Justification comes through faith in Christ. And that's the reality. Grace, not the law, leads to a changed life and morality. Listen to number three. What is true of God's grace or the grace of God? Number three, trusting ourself, listen, cheapens God's grace. Trusting ourselves cheapens God's grace. Listen to what he says in verse 17. If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? In other words, when I walk into a situation or a relationship with Jesus and I realize more and more and more that I'm a sinner, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Does that mean that Jesus caused me to do it? Does it? No. Matter of fact, you can read James chapter one on on a lot of these issues, but I want you to understand this. This is a conditional clause. If this, then this. Or if, listen, if while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? If I am under the weight of or under the curse of sin, does that mean that Jesus promotes sin? And what's he say? Absolutely not. Because remember, the Judaizers, the Jewish people were trying to say, Paul, you're saying you can do whatever you want to. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. No, I'm not. No, what I'm saying is you can only be justified by Christ. You can only be justified by Christ, by the blood of Christ on the cross. So he says this, if while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? No way. While seeking to be justified in Christ by grace, are we set free to indulge in our own natural sinful inclinations? Does being set free from the restraint of the law cause more sin to occur? Does does it allow me to do whatever I want? If so, then Christ, listen, if so, then Christ who freed us from the law would be the promoter of sin. But Jesus, listen, here's the great thing. Jesus didn't come to bring new rules. Or to add more law, Jesus came to rescue us and remove all the sin and accusations against us. That's the reality of what takes place. So trusting ourselves, though, cheapens God's grace. Look at verse 18. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a what? Law breaker. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I prove 
that I am a lawbreaker. See, the Jews understood that because the fallenness of man, man is inclined to sin. Because of our brokenness, because of the law, man is inclined to sin. They want to do over and over and over. I mean, think about how many times you have been driven to do things that you know weren't right, but you still wanted to do what? Do them. It feels good. It feels right. It seems like there's some sort of reward or benefit at this time or this situation that's taken place. Right? I mean, whether it's drugs and alcohol, whether it's sex or adultery, whether it's just being a hateful person to somebody who's in need of a relationship with Christ, a lot of times we think it's of our benefit to treat somebody that way or to get a reward from it. But if the law is removed... If the law is removed in Christ, doesn't that cause us to be released from what keeps us from sin? Isn't justification by faith in Christ alone going to release people into lawlessness? That's the question the Jews are asking. And what I want you to understand is this. Justification, when we talk about it here, what Paul is trying to understand, is not a legal action in which a man's status is changed. Justification happens when the character of God comes into that person. The character of that person is left touched by Jesus. A lot of people think, well, justification, what the heck's going on? Jesus comes in and overtakes that person's life. That's the reality of what should take place. That is the promise that is given. So trusting ourself cheapens God's grace, but it also reveals more and more our sin. That is what God wants to get through to us. God wants us to understand. And I want to focus on the last bit. And this is the main part we're going to look at. All right. What is true of the grace of God? Number four. God's grace lets us start over. It lets us start brand new. Listen to verses 20 or 19 and following. Listen what he says. For through the law, I died to the law so that I may live for God. Verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer what? I no longer live. If I have been crucified with Christ, then I no longer live, but who lives in me? Christ lives in me, but Christ lives in me. So the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. The reality is that God's grace lets us start over. And when we mean start over, it means new life. It means old life gone. It means no longer yours. You were bought at a price. The life you live, you no longer live for yourself, but you live for who? Christ. Because Christ is your life. I think the fact of the matter remains that in churches and in cultures around the world, I'll say this, in the American church as a whole, what we did is we said, if you put your faith and trust in Christ, you get out of hell free, but it's okay as long as you come to church and you're reading your Bible and you're praying faithfully, you're good. And the reality is it cheapens God's grace. And so last week I made this statement that the more we understand the gospel, the more we realize that we should preach the gospel to ourselves daily. Why? Because the more I do wrong, listen, 
the more I do wrong, the more I diagnose the problem, the more I realize that I don't live up to the standard, the more I work to try and please God. Listen, I hope you understand this. The more I work to try and please the God, the more I realize that I'm trying to cheapen God's grace because I'm saying, God, look at what I do for you. Look at everything I give. Look at the life I so sacrificially give. Look at the money I gave. Look at what I give. The reality is the more I set that in there, the more I look into my heart and I see that, the more I realize that's the more I need Jesus because that is me stepping to the front and not allowing Christ to be first and foremost. Because the brokenness and the sin should reveal my need for Jesus daily. And so what we did in the past is we said, hey, you got Jesus, you're good to go. And I'm not talking about losing your salvation, but somebody would walk forward and they'd say, I got Jesus, I'm good. And we don't train them or teach them to realize that it's a daily dying to myself. It's a daily putting off the sin nature and letting Christ live in me. It's a daily going, God, I sinned. I need Jesus more and more in my life because I know I don't live up to that standard. But it's by Christ and my faith in Christ that I know that I can be obedient to you, not on my own, but because Christ is in me. And Christ helps me live that out. God's grace lets us start over and see the literal picture that takes place here is representative of life and death. And when something's dead, what happens? Does it get up and walk around? Does it make choices anymore? Is it saying, I'm gonna do this? They're saying, no, 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 you're not gonna tell me. I'm gonna do it this way. No, when something's dead, it's what? It's dead. After a while, it starts to stink. It doesn't have a choice in what it's gonna do. And I think the reality is a lot of times what we end up doing is we want what we want, and then when it's comfortable, or maybe we've gotten to the lowest point in our life, then we'll go, okay, God, I'll I'll give it to you. The Christian life is not a one-time deal. The Christian life is a life. The Christian life isn't a one-time commitment, a get-out-of-hell-free card. The Christian life is literally, listen to what he says. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So, the life I live in the body, I live by Faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Every decision I make, every choice I make, every, every step I take in my future, every choice I choose to lead my children in, the way who I marry, what I marry, how I respond to people outside at Walmart, how I respond to people at work, all should be reflected based upon my faith in Christ. If my faith in Christ is there, then that is the decision I make because the life I live, I no longer live for myself, but I live for Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. So I put my faith and trust in that. And so I literally say this, I am dead in Christ and I now live in Christ or for Christ, because Christ is in me. And the more, listen, I believe this wholeheartedly, the more you look at your sin and flesh, the more weak you're gonna feel. Because you're gonna say, I can never live up to that standard. Look at how we try. We try over and over and over to please 
people, to earn people's respect, to earn people's love, to earn people's compassion, maybe their mercy. But the more we look to Christ, the more free you will be, the more grace you will understand, the more love you will feel because you will no longer live for yourself, but you will live for Christ. And so the Christian gospel is the gospel of grace. It is the Christian faith is a faith that is built upon the fact that Christ was crucified. So listen, if anyone insists that justification is by works and that he can earn salvation by his own effort, he is undermining the very foundation of the Christian religion and he's nullifying the grace of God. Because listen to what he says in verse 21. I do not set aside the grace of God. In other words, I don't place it off to the side because if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for what? Huh? If righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. And so I'm made right in Christ. I'm made right in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ because the law couldn't do it. The law diagnoses it. And therefore, because the diagnosis is so bad, I need Christ. And the life I live, I don't live for myself. I live in Christ. I'm going to read a quote, or not really a quote, but there's a a guy named William Barclay, and he says this. There are two great temptations in the Christian life. And in a certain sense, the better, or I'll even put it out there, the more moral a man is, the more susceptible he is to him. In other words, if you feel like you're good, if you feel like you're a moral person, the more susceptible you are to these temptations. First is the temptation, there is the temptation to try and earn the merit and favor of God. It's like, well, you know, I'm not, use the example. Let's Let's think about people who have come to Christ as a result of negative things that happened in the past. Maybe it was a murder. Maybe it was time in prison. Maybe it was just somebody who says, you know, I went through all this. My my parents abused me, all these things, and they come to Christ. And a lot of people go, man, I don't have that kind of testimony. I've been good my whole life. You ever heard that? I've heard it. Teach a class on evangelism. Tell somebody, hey, tell me your story. Well, I've been good my whole life. You see what happens? When you feel like you're a moral person, this temptation is overwhelming because you go, well, I, I, I don't have much to be saved from. Huh? I mean, you know, I was good. I didn't party in high school. I didn't get into fights. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. And so we look at it and we go, well, I'm, 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 I'm good. So I didn't have much to die for, so Jesus really didn't die for much for me. Whereas, you know, I mean, heck, you know, Osama bin Laden, if Osama bin Laden had come to Christ, man, you know, Jesus died for a lot. That guy killed people. You see how it creeps in, the temptation that we let control us? So the first is the temptation to try and earn the merit or favor of God. But the second is this. There is a temptation that the man who has shown some little achievement listen, will compare himself with his fellow man to his advantage and their disadvantage. See what we do? Well, I'm, I'm not that bad. And then what we do is we like to compare ourselves. And we always make ourselves look what? Better. Usually when it comes to a comparison tra- a track, we don't really go, well, you know, compared to that person, 
I was really bad. What we always do is we go, well, compared to him, I'm really good. And those are temptations that we love to let feed and control our ego, our self-centeredness. And what it does is it forces us to go, well, I'm, I'm good. I didn't need as much Jesus as somebody else did. Maybe I only need 80, 80% Jesus while they needed 100. And maybe if you're real good, maybe I only needed Jesus for 20% because I really did good things. The reality is we're all messed up. Why? Because the law just reveals the sin. The law just diagnoses the problem. The law doesn't justify you. You're only justified in Christ. So in effect, literally, it is to deny both the nature of God and the mission of Christ when you go, I'm good. You deny the nature of God and the very mission of Christ. It's a sense to tell Jesus, listen, you didn't need to die. You shouldn't have given your life because I was good without you. I was good so your blood didn't cover as much when in reality, here's the truth, we're all on the same playing field, level, even, equal, moral, and immoral, all judged the same, and we all face the same struggles and difficulties. The reality is Jesus' blood covers some and Jesus' blood hasn't covered others who haven't acknowledged or put their faith in it. So reality is this, the lie that has crept in in our culture is this, that we compare ourselves to everyone else. If you do good things, you're on the right track. If you do bad things, you're in trouble. But maybe, maybe, just maybe, you need to stop trying to justify yourself through religious attempts or religious things. And maybe, just maybe, you need Jesus. Because that is the reality of what he's saying today. So we don't cheapen God's grace. We don't set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, through good deeds, through good works, through bribery, through whatever else it is, you would not be eligible. But listen, Christ died for nothing if that was the case. But the reality remains that Jesus Christ died so that you, by faith, could live your life no longer for yourself, but for Christ. So the question today is this. Are you good enough? Or do you think you're good enough? Maybe the reality is you know, <laughs> holy smokes, I'm sunk. Because the truth of the gospel is this, that we're all on an even playing field. We're all equal. No one's better based upon actions, based upon law, because all the law does is diagnose the problem. We all need Jesus. And the reality remains this. Christian, if you're a Christian, you're a believer, you've put your faith and trust in Christ. The reality remains this, that you don't look at people better than yourself. You don't look at people and go, oh my gosh, they're just terrible. They're brutal. They're treacherous. They're rash. They're conceited. You look at people and you say, that's why they need the gospel. Because that's why I needed the gospel. Because without the good news of Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection, I have no hope just as they have no hope. So as we close with this, I'm going to have the band come up and we're going to close out the worship team. I want to ask you this very simply. Have you put your faith and trust in Christ? Because attending church doesn't do it. 
going to Bible study, not going to cut it. Giving all kinds of money to the church, doesn't matter. Taking care of the poor, great, doesn't earn it. Justification, being made right in God's eyes, only comes through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross that was shed for you. As a matter of fact, when we read that love ran red, where my sins were exposed and I was made white. That's the reality that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection makes you justified with God. Let's pray. Father, today I pray that we would not cheapen, we would not ignore, we would not neglect, we would not overlook the fact that your grace is all we need. It's by faith in Jesus Christ that we can experience life and life more abundant, knowing that the sacrifice of Christ is what fixes the problem. The law diagnoses the problem, but Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is what fixes that problem. The blood of Christ on the cross shed for me so that me, a sinner, broken, discouraged, filthy, unrighteous, unloving, unholy, could be made right in your eyes because Jesus made me right. And so, Father, today as we stand, as we acknowledge you and understand, may we understand the fact that the grace should not be set aside idly. It should not be set on a side shelf. But the more and more we understand the grace of Jesus, the more we call out to you, the more we realize we need the good news of Jesus Christ in our life daily. And so, Father, we understand that we don't run callously and carelessly, that we don't run into sin headlong, knowing that we can do whatever we want because the blood of Jesus has freed us. No, we, we, we make ourselves obedient to you because we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. So the life we live, we live for you, for the Son of God, because you gave yourself so freely. If you've never acknowledged Christ today, here's what I want to do is just very simply. I'm gonna be standing up at the front. You can say, hey, I, I need Jesus. I've attempted to do good things for my life. I've tried to make things right, but I realize that I am not right with God because I need Jesus. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ and you say, oh, that's me, that's what I want. I'm gonna be right up here up front. I'm just gonna be standing here. And you can come up. I'd love to talk with you and pray about it. But I also don't want you to be hindered based upon this being some act that you walk the aisle. So if at the end of church, if the end of the service, when we're done singing, if you want to talk to somebody about it, we'll be at the back as well. So today as we stand, as we sing, I, I just want to challenge you that you would not cheapen the grace of God, that your heart would be broken, that you would be open and spilled out, that you would understand. And as we stand and sing, you would let the words resonate, that you would sing at the top of your lungs because God has changed you through the blood of Jesus Christ and not because of anything that you've done. So Father, today, We stand in honor knowing that it's not because of things that we do. It's not because of how much I attend or how much I give. But because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, I can stand before you righteous and redeemed, holy, set free, a new life and a new being in Christ. It's in Jesus' name I pray.